Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your also and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalzik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And uh, Noel, it's it's cold. <laughs> it is cold. In fact, you know you know how cold it is, Kate? My girls, because school was canceled, they were just like, <laughs> Dad, can I go to Cancun with, with some of my friends? A quick impromptu pandemic trip to Cancun. And, you know, being a good dad, I went, yes, absolutely. You can go to Cancun. In fact, I will go and make sure that you get to Cancun safely. Even though I am just going for overnight, I'm going to take a suitcase with me that clearly is intended for three to four nights. (laughs) But I am coming back the next day because, you know, Cancun. always intended. Noted noted trouble spot, Cancun. (laughs) I want to make sure you get there safely. So that's that's how I've been. Well, you know, it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure flying along. It's a lot of pressure for my wife, who is a high-powered executive, to handle uh, traveling with two daughters and or friends. So, like, you know, this is why I'm, I'm being a good supportive husband and I'm not at all full of shit. Uh, yeah. Yep, yep. Our thoughts, again, continue to be with anybody who's dealing with this extreme weather that's been happening in various parts of the country. Um, I I saw a friend of the show, uh, Dr. Elizabeth Bridges, is currently under a boil water order. So that sucks. Yeah. And there are plenty others uh, who are, you know, dealing with a lot of different things right now. So hopefully you all get your power back soon. Uh, Hopefully everybody's staying safe and warm and without exploded pipes and all of that. Um, It keeps snowing in Chicagoland, though, thankfully, not anything like it did, you know, our our big Monday, you know, night snow that we had. But uh, yeah, it's uh, I'm ready. I'm ready for it to be spring. (laughs) March. If we could do March, that'd be great. Um, So we'll see how long this all sticks around. Uh, We've got some uh, top of the show news here. Now, the first news we have is not news. This was known a while ago, but we forgot to talk about it. And that is that Winona Earp will be ending after season four. And season four is going to be premiering here pretty soon. I think it's March 5th or something. It's, it's very soon that they're going to start. I think it's just six episodes. Because the first half of the season was six. And then they had it to break for COVID. So I'm guessing that it's another six. But I could be wrong on that. Um, but yes, they're heading into their final run. So we'll see what happens with that. I know I will be following along. Even despite Winona Earp never living up to my hopes for it. Um yeah. I still very much enjoy it and will be following it closely to as it goes towards its ending. Um, completely out of nowhere, as far as I'm concerned, was the yes. news that Infinity Train book four is actually happening. Didn't it like didn't we mourn this? Didn't it get like officially canceled? It was never like officially, officially canceled. The uh, creator, Owen Dennis, was just like, I need everyone who is a teen or a preteen to watch this show. You have to watch book three. Because all my animators and storyboarders and writers have all gone on to other projects. Mm-hmm. If I have any hope of this show continuing, I need you to come back. Yeah. Um, and watch this show. So I guess it happened somehow. Um, but I'm, I'm very excited. Um, I'm, I'm pumped. We're probably not going to see it for at least a year and a half. But um, hey, it's in the pipeline. But it's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't mind. I'm excited about it. So yeah. Our last bit of TV news here is 
something that I'm not all that familiar with. I just saw like a little blurb about it, but Donald Glover is going to finish up his contract with FX for Atlanta, uh, which I think is one more or maybe two, two more, more seasons. Two more seasons, three and four. Uh, of Atlanta. Back. Yeah. And then he's headed for a multi-year deal over at Amazon Prime. Um, I like I saw something about it being like eight figures. Like it's a it's a big deal. Um, yes. Quite a loss for FX. Uh, quite a gain for Glover. Uh, though we'll see what happens creatively because, you know, they're pretty generous with their creatives at FX. So we'll see what happens with Amazon. Do you know anything about this? Yeah. So they're talking about Glover getting a multi, um, like a channel that he'll curate and produce stuff for on Prime. Um, he already, I think in the works, his the film reboot of Mrs. Mr. and Mrs. Smith that he's doing with Phoebe Waller-Bridge is being done through Amazon as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think all of that was in play here. And then I know that, like, he'll be executive producing a couple of shows as well in this process. To me, what this really is signaling is Amazon is like, okay, we're going to do some of the similar sort of high profile gets that Netflix did when they grabbed Kenya Barris, when they grabbed Shonda Rhimes, when they grabbed Ryan Murphy away from their respective outlets, really, that had loyalty outlets. Um, So I think that this is very reflective of that. And I think getting Glover is a really smart idea, even if, as Alana has proven, Glover is a deeply busy human being. (laughs) Um, So I'll be really curious to see how this um, plays out for them in terms of a steady flow of Glover-related content that they can really push. Um, as opposed to like Ryan Murphy, who just doesn't seem to do anything but work. (laughs) (laughs) And Shonda Rhimes, who basically brought her entire production studio with her when she went to Netflix and has now pumped out Bridgerton and is already like hard at work at season two. Very good at delegating, right? Right, exactly. So I'm really curious to see how all of this is going to play out. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm interested in it and we'll, we'll see, but, um, yeah, Atlanta seasons three and four are still going to air on FX, presumably sometime next year, <laughs> um, because they should be, they filmed, I think some of them back to back, but they should have filmed it back to back, but they also had to break because of the pandemic. So I'm not entirely sure what the production schedule for that is right now. I just know that I am very much looking forward to watching it because the first yes. seasons are great. So yes, they're fabulous. So yeah. hopefully soon, but listeners, we've buried the, really the most important thing. Oh, this is obviously the most important thing, which is why it's saved for last because yes. it's our podcast. So we will cover whatever news we see fit, including <sighs> this gift of movie news, which is Noel, what's happening. Paddington three has been, <gasps> is going into like some degree of production or Yay! has been confirmed that will be happening. Um, which, Exactly. You heard. You just heard Kate go squee and go yay. That's all you need to know. <laughs> I still haven't seen Paddington 1. I've only seen Paddington 2 because uh, just the opportunity has not presented itself. And it's amazing. Uh, I look forward to catching up with Paddington 1. And knowing that there is a future Paddington adventure headed our way, I am absolutely delighted. So cannot wait. I mean, we technically already got like a Paddington 2.5 with the undoing. Mm-hmm. So slightly different, I, but you know. Slightly but, you know, it's both of his villains teaming up to murder someone. I, I figured Paddington just showed up at the end of it to solve <laughs> the case. Is that not what happened? Well, because we already got 0.25, right? 2.25 with A Very English Scandal. 
right? So, right. Yeah. You know, it's just the saga continues. Uh, this week at the end of the show, we are catching up with an oldie but a, but a goodie, an oldie but a funny, uh, which is the uh, Rockford Files, which is available streaming on Peacock. Uh, it's It had been a while since we did like a classic cut. And so we're like, let's go for something completely different. Let's do some Rockford Files. So that's going to be coming at, at the end of the show. Um, but for now, uh, we got a bunch of TV to talk about. So we're going to take a break, listen to some music, and come right back with our Week in TV. In TV, we're going to kick things off with the pilot of Clarice, or the first episode, I should say, the premiere. The silence is over. Then we'll talk about the much-anticipated return of Queen Sugar, late February 2020. Uh, Superstore had Conspiracy. We had the Amber Ruffin show, February 12th, 2021. Then we'll head over to uh, Reality for some Drag Race, the Vision Song Contest for Drag Race UK, and the Bossy Rossi Reboot for original recipe. And then over in genre, we had Black Lightning, The Book of Reconstruction, Chapter 2, and WandaVision's all-new Halloween Spooktacular. Uh, So first up is Clarice, The Silence is Over. And I like this cast, uh, Noel. Uh, It's a good cast. The dialogue they're given is not good. And I have no interest in watching more of it. This is a pretty fast one for me because uh, I because I was watching this and at a certain point I was rolling my eyes. At a certain point I was like, "Oh, Siri, they're really they're having them actually they're making cublets actually say this part out loud." I'm sorry, cublets. Um, and then there were a couple little moments here and there, and then I was like, "No, no." As you linger in shots of bodies and grim, dour trauma and everything, without any of the, um, I don't know. Without any of the horrific beauty and uh, soul searching of Hannibal, I was like, no, I don't need to watch more of this, so I will not be. Uh, I had a strong reaction. What did you think to, about, about Clarice? I am weirdly compelled by Clarice. Okay. Um, I. I I am also deeply confused by Clarice um, in any number of ways. I do agree with you that there's the air of the CBS procedural saran wrap stifling a lot of stuff. Um, But there's also this clear desire to both have echoes of Jonathan Demme's The Silence of the Lambs. Um, in any number of ways, from its use of aerial shots to the ways in which it continues to make 
Clary seems small, which was one of the big things that they did in uh, the Silence of the Lambs film, from being surrounded by a bunch of very tall people on in an elevator to jackets being a little too big and this kind of stuff, um, to wanting to also echo Hannibal the television series with slow-mo shots of people walking through rain and stepping <laughs> in puddles. And it's just like, show, you have not earned any of this yet. <laughs> Don't do that. Bad show. Bad. You can only draw um, negative comparisons. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah, don't just stop doing it. Um, don't do it. Don't do it again. And so it's really fascinating watching this show echo both of these other versions of this intellectual property, but not this specific intellectual property, except in the movie's case. And be like, we're kind of our own thing, but also missing the point of those other two things. Um, and it's so bizarre, but at the same time, like you said, I really like this cast. I think Rebecca Breeds is doing a really good job of doing Jodie Foster doing Clarice, <laughs> but also in an uncanny valley sort of way, because she can't match Clarice, she can't match Foster's cadence yeah, or inflections, but she can ma- match Foster's accent for Clarice perfectly but the the cadence and the inflection is all wrong because it's not jody foster <laughs> um cudlets i think uh say his name cudlets cudlets yeah. cudlets yeah i think is really good as paul krendler and i think he could also be really good as jack crawford which is the other really irony of this is that they're not allowed to use jack crawford so they use paul krendler instead and cudlets could play either of these and i think really do a really great job um but yeah i just I want to see more is basically where I am with this. Um, And so I am. I'm going to watch more. I really want to see them more so tap into Jonathan Demme's and the Silence of the Lambs film aesthetic and concept um, and tone, really, especially the tone. I really hated this episode's whole thing with the hazing with the lotion and... It's bad for a couple of reasons, not just from the misogyny part of it, but it's also aggressively unsubtle in how they shout at Clarice lines from the movie to like have us remind you about the thing that they've already visually referenced a couple of times. Hey, hey, hey remember that part in the movie? Because like, because he said that because like Buffalo Bill said that, and we know that from your statements. So like. And then he, then he said this too. Yeah? Yeah, we good? Yeah. We good? Audience, we good? Okay. And so it feels very much there for audience. It feels very much there for an audience who hasn't seen Silence of the Lambs. Um, it is a 30-year-old movie. Um, but it doesn't fit with how Jonathan Demme's approach to Silence of the Lambs really emphasized how Clarice is isolated and passively, politely looked down upon as opposed to aggressively hazed. Yeah. Um, or aggressively ignored or mocked or belittled. The entire point of the book and the movie is how she finds that space for herself. And then the movie, the TV, this TV show has to like reinforce that she doesn't have that anymore. Um, so watching it soft reset, but do it in a way that doesn't feel of a piece of what it is a direct sequel of really is really bizarre. And, I'm hoping that after they get over like pilotitis type stuff, they're going to be better about that. Um, my only other thing that I'll say about this is 
what a career for Cal Penn. I was going <laughs> to say, like, that's the last thing. If you're going to watch this, then you can tell me what they're actually doing with Cal Penn. Because, like, he's got two lines maybe in this. And you don't, yes. you don't, I mean, granted, like, I don't know what his ask is, but you don't hire Cal Penn for two lines. He's too much of a name. You hire someone you can pay nothing to, comparatively. Yeah. Uh, so, clearly there's a lot more coming for that character. There is, but it's so bizarre to watch Cal Penn be like, all right, did some really popular movies in the late 90s, early aughts, going to go on House for a couple of seasons, going to headline this NBC sitcom that nobody liked. Going to go work for the Obama administration. (laughs) Going to go work in the Obama administration, and then I'm going to go be the brown guy in the Silence of the Lambs sequel television series. It's still set in 1993, in which I am very obviously the brown guy. Yeah, it's very strange. <laughs> it's it's such a weird, interesting thing that I don't understand it. But I can also, like you, only assume that he they were like, You're, you'll get more to do. Um, but it's just so weird that he doesn't have more to do in this first episode, <laughs> because they really want to set up Tomas. Um, the other, like, third-level agent below Cub- uh, Krendler, um, at, of which Penn plays another um, one of those agents, and just be like, this is the guy that is the romance interest because it's not Cal Penn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, it's just, it's it's weird, but I am still going to, like, I am still going to watch another, whatchamacallit, of, another few episodes of it at least. Because... Um, I was compelled by the fact that the, like the critical reviews of these were kind of weirdly divided, which I was fascinated by. So, well, you will have to keep us posted. I will, um, and I, if need be, I will catch up if it, if it merits it. But uh... I feel like it's not going to merit it until much later in this run, if, it, <laughs> if at all. Well, we'll see. Uh, next up is Queen Sugar, which had its season five premiere late February 2020. And I read an article, uh, I don't remember where it was at, with uh, an interview with Ava DuVernay uh, about the filming. Because basically they filmed like almost two entire episodes mm-hmm. and then had to break for COVID and then restructured and rewrote the entire season. Yes. Um, so these first two episodes that we get are going to be mostly unchanged. Though there is a bit of like radio that yes. I feels very clearly inserted like later uh, to to foreshadow what's coming with COVID. Uh, but knowing that they they had to completely change how they did it because normally right they have a different writer for every episode, a different director for every episode. They had three writers: the showrunner <laughs> Ava DuVernay, and then oh I don't remember who. There's one other writer who was doing all of these episodes you know, the three of them were writing all these episodes together. And then they had that just, I think a few directors and they, they filmed everything based on location. So they had like all the scripts and yes. then they would just, you know, be fi- working with different directors on the same Woof. day in different locations. It's like, yeah. Woof. Yeah. Fortunately, this is a cast that can handle that because they're really yeah, good. But still that's, that's a lot. It is. It is, especially for some of the, the younger cast. And I'm thinking specifically of the actor who plays blue, of course, but yeah. um, I cannot wait Cannot wait to see what they're going to do. The trailer, like, for the season, of course, I watched it. And, of course, uh, like, I'm just I'm not I'm not emotionally prepared <laughs> for what's coming. But I thought this was a strong start to the season. Uh, I am uh, excited and already devastated for Ralph Angel. And, uh, and I am curious about where they're headed with some of these storylines. Um, yeah. And very, very ready to be back spending time with Queen Sugar, if only 
for Vi in Hollywood and, and also if only for Blue. What, what, what did you think of this premiere? Right. I, th- I thought that this was a really good sort of, not a reset, but a very good here's the show kind of episode. Very accessible jumping jumping in point. Right. Yeah, no, like I feel like at season five, I shouldn't be able to say you can just watch season five and have a very good sense of what this show is. There are obviously things that you're not going to fully get like the larger emotional context for, like the proposal that happens at the end of this episode, which is really nice. Um, But I think that you can jump in on this show and understand everything really immediately. Um, And I really, again, watching this in a fifth season, you don't expect to be able to do that. But I think that this episode is really good at reestablishing where everyone is right now, because it's been at least like, what, six months to a year since the um, finale. Um, Charlie's on the council. Uh, There's been various things happening around the council to avoid the highway. Uh, what's her name's going to prison for arson, mm-hmm. all this sort of stuff. So watching all the plot stuff get handled that were left over from season four and then begin to set up various other conflicts for season five that I feel like are perfect conflicts to have, but then watching how they're going to integrate the pandemic into those conflicts or watch those conflicts be put on pause because of a pandemic is just going to be really fascinating to watch. Um, Particularly like everything with Parker, I feel like is really prime territory for something that can be both sped up and massively slowed down because of a pandemic, because of the fact that she's the board of a bank now, which is just such a power move. Yeah. Just such a power move. I love Parker. Power bitch move coming in a royal blue. Yeah, exactly. A banquet where clearly the message was purple. So Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Parker's great. And I love Parker already a lot. (laughs) Um, So I'm very excited about what they're going to do this season. Um, I will say that I was just watching Hollywood and Vi make those cakes without gloves, without masks, sticking their fingers into mixing bowls and tasting things. And I just went, oh my God, they're all going to get very sick. They're just <laughs> going to get so sick. And there's not a, there's not, there's not a vaccine yet. And it's like late February. They're going to get so sick. Um, and I, I was both like, that's both humorous fear, but like also legitimate fear because I, I can't deal with if either of them get COVID, I will lose it, Kate. I will lose it. Okay, that's not allowed to happen. <laughs> I'm just like, let me put that in the in, out in the ether. That can't happen. Right? So like, we're going to be watching the whole rest of the season being like, protect by with your very breath outside yeah. and don't you dare even talk. You are not allowed in this house. No one's allowed in this house bubble to protect Vi and also Hollywood, but specifically at Vi. Yes. Um, And, but on top of that, when we're talking about like protecting people, I'm also really interested to see what's going to happen with Nova and her cop boyfriend as this begins to unfold, unfurl as well. Um, Even though it is also the corner of the show I'm least interested in, Um, which is a weird thing for me to say about Nova, because normally I do not say that about Nova, but I'm curious to see how this is going to play out because I feel like this is prime. Well, I still want this relationship to work, so we're going to have to move in together real fast. Well, yeah, like, like he's clearly like, it seems like he's just moved in. 
right? Yeah. It's like, so like you're in the, in the very early days of living together, and now you're in lockdown. Yeah, Oof. exactly. And now you're in lockdown with a activist and a former cop headed into a summer of Black Lives Matter protests and mm-hmm. uh, massive uh, conversations about racial justice and police brutality and like, yeah. 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 So I think that there's just a lot of really interesting things that they've got the groundwork laid out for, even if this episode was probably not, like you said, rejiggered very much. Um, so I'm really curious to see what's going to happen, like, in episode three. Mm-hmm. Um, so much so that I wish they had done, like, a two-episode premiere so I could have knew that I had the third episode coming next week. But I will wait impatiently for it. But I am very glad to have this show back. Um, it's been such a relief to have something really good and really dramatic and really back in my TV vein because I had not had a really solid week-to-week type of drama to watch for a while. So I'm really glad to have Queen Sugar back. And just we get a weekly dose of blue. Mm, Bless his heart, he cannot make toast. Oh, man, that toast was so burnt. (laughs) It's just the most burnt toast. I I mean, I appreciate a golden brown crust, right? Like, so Mm -hmm. so many people undercook their pizzas. I get it. Like, I don't get it. So many people undercook their toast. It's supposed to, like, we need the Maillard reaction, right? I want to see caramelization. I want a golden brown. And if you, at the the very end, edge is, is like, burnt, like, you know, I will take that if it means the rest of the bread is actually toasted Mm -hmm. and not just, like, chewy and heated uh but no that's i do like chewy and heated but i understand i also appreciate really perfectly done toast so yeah but that shit was that shit was burnt <laughs> like, yeah it was burnt <laughs> like i wasn't eating it but it was burnt um next up something completely different we've got superstore uh, and conspiracy so thoughts on uh 5g is controlling everyone's mind yeah kate i thought they were gonna go real hard on this mm. I was really expecting like a really kind of solid, we're going to do QAnon type stuff. We're going to substitute it with Zephyr kind of to like not quite do it, but we're going to kind of do it. And I was just like, yes, let's do it. I am here for Superstore's take on this. And then it was just shenanigans without a really heavy interrogation about how people get sucked into this kind of thing. Um, And I was very frustrated by that. So this episode ended up being really disappointed because of my overhyped expectations for what this show is capable of doing. So a lot of this is on me and not the show necessarily, but it just wasn't particularly compelling to watch them break into that room where it's just like, they should know it's a server room. Mm-hmm. Like, they should know it's a server room. Also, also that room should... the manager should have keys. Yeah, they should have keys to that room as well. Um so it's all very weird. It's all very convoluted. And it's just is not particularly compelling. Um, but I did enjoy the imitation beef. <laughs> yes. Between uh, Mateo and Cheyenne that kept escalating. It was it was a very well-trodden Mateo and Cheyenne type of storyline. But it was still really well executed. Um, how did you feel about Conspiracy? I mean, it was fine. It was, you know. I also wanted more. I am just so, I'm so worried for poor Garrett. This is not going to go well. Eventually, mm-hmm. a show that we watch will do a open relationship storyline that isn't, that is an actual representation of what that is supposed to be. 
Um, uh-huh. This will not be that. Um, but yeah, poor Garrett is, this is not gonna, I mean, we'll see if they OTP them by the end of the season, but this is not going to go well for him. I do not anticipate, uh, though there, there will be a lot of comedic potential. Uh, if they can find a way to not just stop all over his heart constantly, which I am not confident in. So we'll see. But I thought that, you know, like the way that they split up the, like who they were putting like in each scene and, and all that worked pretty well. And yeah. Yeah, it was fine. I, I, I also would have liked more, but yeah, we'll see. Maybe, maybe we'll get more down the line. Uh, next, we have the Amber Ruffin show. February 12th, 2021. And it's a wonderful life. There's, you know, Prince is there. Uh, any thoughts about uh, this episode? Yeah, I really liked the lack of a monkey's paw mm-hmm. alternate timeline that we went into. Uh, 3000th show. That's really cool. I don't know how quite how that works. Um, maybe you're doing like three shows a night, but if anyone could do three shows a night, it's Amber. Um, so I thought that was really delightful, but mostly I'm worried about Tarek. Um, because where is he? I checked his Twitter feed. There was no indication of where he was when I watched this episode on Saturday or Sunday. Well, clearly he's um, around because he was filming for this episode, but just not, you know, for the, for the, it's a wonderful life bit. But he wasn't here for the announce. He wasn't the announcer in this episode either. Well, I know, but he was still there in the episode. What I mean is like. But that was like a pre- clearly pre-recorded. a pre-taped yeah, bit. Yeah, I know. It was yeah. a pre-taped bit. So he like, he needed a personal day. Okay. That's the I thing. Well, when they only fil- they, they clearly can only film on Fridays because that's, yes. you know. So like if something happens or if someone is sick or, yeah. if, or you know, their no. car breaks I down know. or, you know. I just. I want him to be okay. No one's like no one is allowed to hurt Vi. <laughs> <laughs> no one's allowed to hurt Terry Davis either. Okay. Well, I'm you know we'll see. Hopefully, he'll be back next episode. Hopefully, hopefully, I'm gonna have to watch very soon <laughs> to make sure. <laughs> to make sure, just to like keep the you know keep everything in alignment how it should be. Uh, any other? Maybe thoughts? the goatee got him. <gasps> <laughs> it, it's the soul patch. Yeah, the yeah. soul patch. Yes, maybe the soul patch got him. Um. Next, we have uh, RuPaul's Drag Race, and over on UK, they did their um, they did their girl group challenge, which was Eurovision. And for those who don't know, it's Eurovision. Um, and the Cover. the song that they had the two teams split into, and they gave them the same song, but then they wrote their own verses, um, is uh, appropriately um, ridiculous. It was like something. Like, Bing, bang, bong, sing, sing, song, ding, dang, dong, UK, hun, da, da. Like, it's still in my head a week later. Uh, so it's ridiculously catchy and and stupid and delightful, which is so appropriate for Eurovision. Um, they broke for COVID, came back seven months later, and one of the queens had COVID, so she couldn't return. So they brought back the queens who had been eliminated. Uh, with one very notable exception, and one of them was voted back in, and then he probably got eliminated again because that's what tends to happen when that happens. Uh, so it, I thought it was a fun episode. I liked the 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 runway was was on, at the seaside or by the seaside. It was neat seeing um, who had come back seven months later with like lots of like new teeth, <laughs> and who had came back with a bunch of new outfits, and who came back. Pretty much exactly the same. Um, so, yeah, it's... Uh, I, I'm looking forward to what's going to come next. And 
I continue to enjoy these queens, and I'll leave it. I'll leave it there. Uh, we had on regular Drag Race, we had the Improv Challenge, the Bossy Rossi reboot, um, and this was one that I mentioned last week, being like, uh, really, uh, with some of the judging, and I think that that's a bit of a problem in this season that's developing. I will tease everyone that I do not think that is the case in the next episode. I very much enjoyed the next episode, um, and I felt like they kind of uh, realigned some of that, but. In this one, uh, there were definitely people in the top that I would have kept safe, and there are people in the bottom that I would not have put in the bottom. Well, what did you what did you think of, of Bossy Rossi reboot? So first, let me say that I really like the Bossy Rossi concept um, as for being a runner for their um, for the improv stuff because I think it provides a really good format um, that's really consistent. And, and Ross, Ross Matthews Ma- is terrific, right? Exactly. Ross Matthews is really good at providing plenty of space for this kind of stuff, but also is really good at facilitating it. He's got a Stella um, Jesse Raphael glasses, you know? Exactly. Um, so I think that there were also, this was also, let me just also give serious props to their set design because the Bossy Rossi After Dark lawn garage area was really, really great down to the motion control, uh, motion sensor for one of the floodlights, which was one of the best jokes of Lala going, wait, what? Um, to when that light kicked on. So just top to bottom, I think it's a really great little piece of set design um, that gave everyone a lot of space and stuff to play with if they wanted to. So I really, really liked it. Um, And I liked the challenge overall, but yeah, I'm really confused about the judging here. Um, I'm really confused about safes. I'm confused about who ultimately got to lip sync um or who was asked to who who were asked to lip sync mm-hmm. and i i just don't understand some of these things here um so yeah mostly what it boils down to is i'm really confused by the fact that utica was not asked to lip sync well because they didn't want utica to leave and if utica right. had to lip sync against any of the other queens that would have been in the bottom <laughs> they would have been eaten right exactly um but I was like very consistently just underwhelmed by Utica in this episode. Like, though, did really poorly in the um, the whatchamacallit, in the uh, the reading challenge, in the in the improv, the improv. Okay, didn't do great in the reading challenge, but that uh, uh, yeah, okay, but not okay. not the Elliot bomb, but not the Elliot bomb, which was just, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't love the vampire bride thing because the beads as someone noted on untucked felt really secondary to the overall look um so like it made sense to me that lala and elliot were also in the bottom it made less sense to me that utica was not lip-syncing for their life based on all three of these factors because i legitimately felt that as not good as elliot was their runway look may hit the brief better and considering that there were three or two to three other mardi gras bead looks elliot's mardi gras bead look was the best of them like not even close definitely not even close because here's the other thing tina's look was awful and i (laughs) don't understand how you don't keep tina just to read her for filth for that terrible runaway look (laughs) Yeah, great job in the challenge. But what is this? What is happening yes, right now? What is happening right now? You're safe, but we need to ask you some questions about what is happening with this. 
Um, So that's kind of where I was. So I was really kind of confused by what the critiques were and then the end result. Um, Because I think Lala being in the lip sync and being in the bottom all made sense based on the runway look, based on the performance. Um, So it just like that made sense to me. But I felt like Elliot had just edged out Utica in this and the judging kind of backed up that interpretation for me or the edit of the judges backed up that interpretation for me. So I was kind of left confused by this decision beyond producer shenanigans, which I just need to accept that the editing is always a lie on this show. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and also it's just like, they love candy. Um, because I I don't know I, I you know I because I, I also listen to several Drag Race podcasts and watch reaction videos and stuff to try to you know get a sense of the general like vibe and and fan and viewer interpretation of these episodes so I know if I'm just like kind of on my my own or something and mm-hmm. a lot of people liked that Candy and Simone improv better than I did I was not interested in it. I thought it was fine, but like, I thought yeah, the other fine. ones were better. I, and I thought Simone really amped things up. Yes. So like I was, especially with that fabulous runway, I was very much okay with Simone being at the top, but like Olivia, I thought did a, a very good job, but I also was very confused by this whole, like, that's the hardest role. It's like, really? Cause that doesn't seem like that's, that's like the mug and steal all the attention role. And if, Olivia was doing the exact same thing and didn't have that scoring backing them up and didn't have got Mick absolutely nailing the straight woman act. It wouldn't have worked anywhere near as well. So I was like, I would have put got Mick in the top over candy. I would have definitely put Rose in the top over candy. I would have considered Denali in the top over candy. Uh, It was just very, uh, it, it felt strongly of, producer shenanigans of just like, well, we're building a narrative here. So, and, and, and Candy's runway was fantastic. So I think that was also a big best candies looked all season. Oh, not close. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, so like, I think that was probably a big part of it. Um, uh, and, and got mixed runway was fine. Like we, we've seen similar things before, you know, so that there's, that's part of it. I really liked Rosé's runway. I thought it was adorable. Like plastic, craft bead Tinkerbell, like, delightful. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I really it's liked great. Denali's runway. I thought, yes. I thought the runway overall was very good, actually, the overall level, with the exception of Tina. <laughs> and and then Lala's was messy. Um, I thought the runway was actually really good. But, yeah, it's... Yeah, they have, they have certain queens that they are very connected with, and they don't want to see them go. And the fact that Utica was in the bottom and, again, did not have to lip sync speaks to just how strong the runways have been from you like absolutely crushing the runways and a clear producer favorite uh because of that or and because of the other things that are delivering and candy makes great tv don't get me wrong and it's very mm-hmm. talented i'm not saying that that they're you know not a good queen or anything like that but like for i was like how do you like no nothing nothing for rosé or for gotnik or for denali because like they were, I thought that they did a really good job. I actually, my memory of this, the first time I watched it, was like, okay, you know, I was a little puzzled by the thing, but, you know, it was fine, whatever. And then when I rewatched it to, like, really finalize my thoughts and as I was writing it out, I was like, no, they did a good job. They actively did a good job in the improv as opposed to kind of skating through. And, uh, yeah, like, it was, it felt very strange. 
Yeah, so when it comes to Denali, Rosé, and in this instance, Scott Mick, I think that the problem becomes the fact that they were good. Like, capital G, good. Um, like, it's the kind of professionalism, almost, that the show actively pushes against. Mm-hmm. Uh, or doesn't want to recognize or doesn't want to award. Um, because I think Rosé and Denali, particularly this episode, but Denali also for the past three weeks at this point, has just been doing really good, consistent work. And is not getting recognized for that. And her frustration within Untucked is like becoming a pro is going to become a problem for them starting next week, really, I would imagine. Um, but you cannot help but feel frustrated after, especially after this runway look of the chandelier, which is just great. Like, it's a really good look. And not to get anything back on that has to be deeply demoralizing, even more so than being on the bottom at this point. Um, and I think in Mick's case, because I really liked Mick's look for the improv, this kind of weird blend of Suzanne Summers and Morgan Fairchild, um, which I think thought were really good, if even if unintentional cultural touchstones, it's how I've read it, and it worked really, really well, um, that they, for me, were very much in a supporting actor role for Olivia. But the problem is, and I go, I point, this is like my go-to example of like great supporting actors. When you watch Training Day with Denzel Washington and Ethan Hawke, Denzel is great. But Denzel's performance is helped by the fact that Ethan Hawke is treating it in a very specific way. And it just elevates what Washington is doing. That's exactly what happens here with uh, Olivia and Got Mick, is that Olivia's performance is good. And I agree with you that if there wasn't the soundtrack to back it up, it'd be a little weird. But it'd be even weirder because Got Got Mick has to reply, and yes, and all of this stuff, to keep everything moving forward. And that's hard. That's difficult to do when... Provided, again, how much work you've maybe put into this beforehand. Um, Not knowing what the prompts are going to be from Ross, but knowing enough that you can kind of sketch things out. Um, But it was still like, that was just solid professional work. And I just think that even down to the anal beads thing, which I appreciated it just being a proper good camp kind of thing. Whereas everyone else went very literal with the bead choice got Mick did something just off the wall enough that it stood out for me um even if i did like other looks more than the anal bead look um because again you mentioned um olivia's look you mentioned rosé's and denali's but also simone's look was just ridiculous yeah oh yeah no i i wasn't that fond of olivia's i mean it was good and all but like yeah it just seemed like slightly unfinished in some way to me um, plus also that was Candy's wig, right? That was No, the... it wasn't. Oh, okay. this is a whole thing because Okay. Cuz it looked like Candy's wig it from looks a few weeks ago. Very, very, very similar. Yeah. But they both brought them and they were mm. made by different designers. Uh, okay. So yeah, cuz that's, that's been a thing going around. People have been talking okay. about. Yeah. Because of course Olivia also then had that boxer look and got right, exactly. beat out by Simone, so like, yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of where I am is that I think it's particularly in Roseanne Denali's case is that their work is polished, but not messy. Mm -hmm. And Rue loves a mess, even if it's a 
good mess mm-hmm. or bad mess. She wants a mess and she doesn't want something really too composed all of the time. She needs to see the work. She needs to see the work, but she also needs to see that you're not trying to be perfect. And that's what I think Denali and Rose are both starting to butt up against is that their work isn't perfect, but it's more polished and professional and thought through than I think some of the other looks are being. But it's resulting in them just getting pushed aside because their looks are very good, I think. But it doesn't have a little bit of zoom that everyone else has, even if it you kind of go, I don't get it. But at least I have a response to it beyond, that's nice. <laughs> well, we will have more to say next week. The next episode is The Rusical, oh, and they will boy. be recording their audio. So okay. you better believe it's got to be a rosé episode if it's the, the singing, all singing, all dancing, all lip syncing episode. So more on this next week. Man, if Rosé and Denali are safe in this, in this episode, <laughs> they're going to lose their shit. Well, I mean, you know, are we going to get a Jan 2.0? You know, are we going to get the face crack to end all face cracks? We'll see. Yeah. Uh, next up is Black Lightning in the Book of Reconstruction, Chapter 2. Um, I caught up with, with both of these first two episodes and just second what you were saying in the last episode. Uh, the the premiere, it, it's it's very dour where everyone's at. And um, I think I, I have to remind myself that Jennifer's supposed to be in high school because. <laughs> right. Yeah. She is. I forgot that. <laughs> yeah. That's ridiculous. <gasps> Uh, but you know, fair enough. Uh, at least they jumped forward a year in her. So I guess she's, they talk about the SATs and stuff. Is she supposed to be a junior? Cause that's, she's supposed to be a junior, I guess, which also doesn't track, but okay, show. (laughs) I'm going to give this to you. (laughs) Um, but uh, you know, I like what we're getting. I think what we're getting makes sense. I just am not excited about watching it or interested in watching it. Um, so I'm kind of hoping that we can skip forward a little bit to what's coming next. The, uh, uh, the stuff with Jefferson may again it makes sense, but also I just am not. I really have, like <laughs> there's enough depressing stuff happening in the actual world right now that uh, the the outlet for escape <laughs> would would be appreciated. Uh, so watching him lash out and get uh, increasingly reckless in his use of his abilities and is I mean watching him be unable to cope with this loss and where like the trauma he's experienced basically over, you know, the past several seasons kind of culminating with the death of Henderson, you know, it's, it's hard to see and Chris Williams is doing a terrific job with it, but you know, it's rough. I also particularly appreciate that they are showing them in couples counseling and in individual counseling. And Mm -hmm. I feel pretty confident the show isn't going to like weaponize that against them. Um, I don't feel 100% confident, but I feel pretty confident. I would be pissed if they do, if the show does. Yes. Um, but given their handling of therapy previously with Jennifer and like the, the mind palace kind of thing, like I, I feel like they won't. So I'm, I'm enjoying that. Uh, the, yeah, some of what, some of what we're getting uh, setup wise is very intriguing. Um I have trouble with just how short of a memory that everyone has about Tobias, but you know, it is, it is a superhero and comic book staple. So fair enough. And we'll see what happens next. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of, it feels like a lot of interesting setup right now. 
I think the second episode is still in heavy setup mode. I do want to push back just in one instance on the dourness of needing an outlet of this show, because I don't think I laughed quite as hard at anything else this week than I did at watching Christine Adams, who plays Lynn, look so uncomfortable trying in to land. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was And just funny. looking so conveying how uncomfortable Lynn was, but also going, I am also uncomfortable in this, in this <laughs> harness that I am in right now. Um, because it was just very funny. Um, I think unintentionally funny, but still really funny. Um, that I just really enjoyed it, even though tonally didn't quite fit with that scene, but I still really liked it. Um, but no, there's still a lot of setup happening here, and we're getting even more stuff with like the big guns and stuff that Gamby is sort of being on on tracking a little bit. But also, I didn't bring this up last week because I wanted to kind of talk to you about it this week. I'm just really glad that even though they're in Freeland, that somehow or another they managed to ship the entirety of the Arrow Cave to Freeland. <laughs> Underneath the tailor shop somehow? Like, it keeps expanding. It's so big now and <laughs> so very different um, that I, when it showed up in the premiere, I just went, why is the Arrow Cave here? I don't understand <laughs> what's happening right now. Um also, this doesn't. This makes even less sense when you consider the fact that this is shot in Atlanta and Arrow was shot in Vancouver. It just it would make more sense <laughs> if it were the if they were in Vancouver, but it doesn't. So no, I agree. Just a lot of setup still happening. Um, a lot of character dynamics being reestablished, especially within the Pierce family. But I do agree with you that I do appreciate watching the therapy sessions and watching how they navigate those things. I, I agree with you. I don't think that those are going to be um, points of contention or be weaponized against them. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. I am also interested in watching Blackbird try to broker peace between uh, the Cobras and the 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 100 gang. Um, so that was that was a nice scene, even if we means that we don't get any of... Um, Jill Scott as Lady Eve. Exactly, yes, as Lady Eve. Um, so, yeah, but I'll take it. I'll take what I can get. <laughs> yeah. Uh, our next episode, our last episode of the week, is WandaVision. All new Halloween spooktacular! Um, and I did not have Malcolm in the Middle pegged. I don't think anyone had Malcolm in the Middle peg. What I don't think anyone surprise. did. surprise. Yeah. <laughs> Um, this is where I admit that I don't think I've actually watched a full episode oh, okay. <laughs> in the middle. Um, like, I know it. Like, there were enough clips circulating that I knew Malcolm in the Middle, and I recognized what they were doing from the uh, theme song, because I've seen the Malcolm in the Middle theme song. Um, but yeah, th- I did not have Malcolm in the Middle on my WandaVision sitcom bingo card. Um, I did have Modern Family, and they've all but confirmed that we're doing Modern Family this week. Um, because they released another clip, um, and it's very modern family, but yeah, just what a, like you said, what a fun surprise to do Malcolm in the middle. Like, it's just a totally, I feel like kind of forgotten a little bit within the shuffle of things. And I was really delighted by it, but I was also like, wait, we just skipped over the nineties entirely. Um, because we went from family ties to... 2000 when Malcolm in the Middle came out, right? Because that yeah. was an 
like it premiered in 2000, right? Yes, January 2000. Yep. So, yeah, I was a little surprised. Um, maybe they're saving the full house for the finale just to be really meta. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me how you felt about this, how you felt about the the Pietro of it all. Like, really specifically, let's talk about the Pietro of it all. Um, since that's the big lingering question mark, sort of, for various things within the show. How did that play for you in this episode? Well, I feel like it's not, like, we. I don't think we can know yet. Mm-hmm. Because we can't know yet if he's like Mephisto or something. Like if he's mm-hmm. like an imposter. Uh, and okay. the fact, I, I think they handled that well from, you know, where Wanda's at and what she do- knows and doesn't know. And I think that Evan Peters played it well in a, in a way that you could easily could be either thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not sure yet. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see depending on the next couple episodes here. Uh, Cause we're headed towards the end, but um, of the run. But yeah, I, I thought that, you know, there was a good amount of awareness. Like, they have not really established um, well enough some of the threads for me. Um, and I think it's intentional. But, like, pre- having Agnes seem like she's fully conscious and aware and in on things. And then having the scene we get with her in the car doesn't make any sense. So unless there is a separate entity also possessing her, um, that doesn't track we now have like a different level of awareness for Pietro um, and growing awareness for, for vision. So like, I want some, I'm looking forward to having a better like sent like lay of the land of who knows what. And then re like once we get to that point, I look forward to rewatching these and, and being able to track it a little bit more. Of course, Catherine Hunt's amazing. She does a fabulous job with her scene in the car, but um, it's such a surprise. Like it, it really throws you off because it doesn't match with any of the other stuff that we had gotten so far. So, uh, yeah, the um, the, the the conversations around like, oh, I mean, have you had just had all the kids be like asleep this whole time, right? Um, so that you know, better not to traumatize for them. the children. Yeah, for the children. So, I mean, yeah, I have questions. I think the the MCU Phase Four people are viewers, I should say, are very excited about all of the Easter eggs about, like, obviously, you know, the the boss is trying to weaponize Vision's body, and that's why Wanda went to get him. And, like, that's going to be an instigating incident of it, and he's going to turn out to be a bad guy, but we need him on that wall kind of a situation. Um, I'm looking for, you know, they're setting up Photon, they're setting up all these other things. Uh, very... Excited for Darcy because I think Darcy's going to be okay, but might have superpowers now, which is fun. Um, and yeah, I, it, this is one of those ones where I feel like you know the, all the the pieces we get, like all all of like the uh, the dressing is super fun, like the Halloween, the costumes, and this and that. Like like yeah, that's really fun. But um, as far as strong like larger thoughts about it, I am in a holding pattern. So we'll see what happens next. Yeah, and I think that holding pattern is reasonable to be in because this episode does is the escalation point of hitting the final three episodes. We're at the end of the second act, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, and it very much feels like the end of act two in any number of ways from expanding the hex to turning the, the turning sword into basically a circus, uh, which I thought was a really fun 
kind of concept. And I was really hoping to watch what's-his-name's car turn into a clown car. Mm-hmm. I'm a little upset it didn't happen. But <laughs> I'll take what I can get, all the same. Um, and I do agree with you that there are questions... Of, there are just maybe slightly one too many questions at this point about Agnes. Um, whether it's the fact that she's putting this on for Vision's sake to manipulate him into doing something, which I think is a p- potential way to read that scene, or if because Wanda's controlling too many people and she got too close to El- Agnes got too close to Ellis Street that something tr- tripped, basically. Um, but there's no way of knowing um, so it's a little difficult to read that scene, but like you said, Han does a really good job of making it make sense, even if it doesn't quite make sense to the audience. And I think that's, for me, is more important, um, because if I can feel like it internally makes sense, then I'm cool. Um, as for Pietro, yeah, no, who the fuck knows? Um, <laughs> like, I really appreciated the the cutaway joke that we got of their Halloween in Sokovia. Um, you, you just get one fish head that you can share <laughs> while there's a war going on in the background, um, which is just great. Really, really solid uh, early aughts, knock in the middle 30 rock S cutaway joke. Really great stuff. But again, all this like little needling that he does throughout the episode about everything Wanda is doing, um, I think really works as a escalating tactic. Which I think plays into like various theories that it's not Pietro, it's someone else, and so forth and so on. Um, and so that it's not even Pietro from another dimension. It's just whomever it is knows about the other yeah. dimension and like is assuming this form and all this sort of stuff. So I think there's a lot of really fun, interesting things that are being played within this um, within that dynamic. Um, and I'm definitely curious if he's still in the next episode or if he's going to be with us for the, like the rest of the run, basically. Um, one of the things I do dislike about the MCU in general is how much toys spoil things. Yeah. Um, so did you see this potentially about the Pietro Maximoff Funko? No, uh, I have not seen this. Funko so Pop? Please, yeah. Please hold off. Yeah, no, 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 I won't say anything. It, I did it, see a, 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 a something pop up with it was like a cast interview for Wandavision, okay. which included certain actors who were not in any of the press material as being on the show Ooh. or also in the MCU. Um, so I don't know why they would have been doing press at the same time and like a roundtable with all these other people. Yeah, like it, it's just such a this kind of mistake that you don't usually make at Marvel. Um, yeah. So it seems kind of, it's very strange. So maybe it's just more of a larger phase four press thing. And I, cause it's I didn't a, watch it's it. A potential. Yeah. But anyways. Yeah. Um, so who knows? Um, but yeah, so I think that this is, and I think this is a very good sort of end of act two because I did enjoy watching, again, Paul Betty is just doing such great work. Um, and so is Elizabeth Olsen. I'm really excited to see what she's going to do because um, the clips have all been really focused on her for the next episode. Um, but I'm really, Bettany's just so good in that I'm going to tear through this barrier sequence of just, it's really, 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 really good. Um, so I was really impressed by that. Um, so yeah, yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited to see what we're going to do next uh, this week with them. 
Well, what wins your weekend TV? Um, that's a terrific question. I think just based on a, I'm very excited that it's back. It's going to be Queen Sugar, even if it wasn't like a big bells and whistles kind of episode. Mm-hmm. It felt really good to have it back. Um, but also I did despite all the weirdness around it, also enjoy uh, Bossy Rossy Reboot mm-hmm. this week. So, but I'm going to give it to Queen Sugar just slightly on the edge. I know that yours is Clarice, so we can just move on to discussing <laughs> the Rockford Files. Yeah, no, it's Queen Sugar for the same reasons. But yeah, I'm, I'm worried about I'm worried about this fraternity. Oh, um, yeah, no, I, I didn't want to talk about it until we saw more of it, but that scene did not instill confidence. But I'm also, listeners, full disclosure, I'm very adamantly just yeah. anti-Greek well, life. It feels like so. it has to be intentional. That's why I'm like, like right, this, yeah, it's got to be intentional. So we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, Queen Sugar. Oh, love it. Um, now we'll take a break. Listen to probably the theme song. Uh, because oh. I don't know that they have trailers. For- <laughs> no, nope, just... You just play that Mike Post theme song, um, <laughs> Mike Post and Pete Carpenter, Carpenter, and just make sure that you hit that harmonica solo. <laughs> we'll be right back to talk about the Rockford Files. This is Jim Rockford. At the tone, leave your name and message. I'll get back to you. Jim, it's early at the cleaners. You know that brown jacket? The one I said looks so great on you? Your favorite? We lost it. That was the theme song for the Rockford Files, which, of course, is a a PI uh, show starring uh, James Garner that ran from 74 until 1980 and uh, is one of those like sort of um, just like if you were to list off a handful of American PI shows, this is one that I think comes up for a lot of people. Uh, It's not because of various uh, contract disputes and difficulties between Garner and the studio. It it didn't get the heavy rotation in reruns that some of the other ones did. So it may be more um, under, maybe it may be less known uh, for some people. Certainly I had never watched any of it before this. I had heard of it, but I just had never had the opportunity to watch. Um, So we saw it out. It was on Peacock. It's currently available on on Peacock um, to watch and decided to dive in for, you know, changing it up, watching something a little different. Uh, We both watched a smattering of episodes from each of the seasons of the run of the show. Uh, Noel, what is your familiarity with the Rockford, with the Rockford files before this? And what did you think? So um, years ago, like um, Rockford's been streaming, had been streaming on Netflix for basically the entire time that Netflix had streaming rights for stuff. Um, And so I've watched the first season and a half, I want to say of Rockford files, but it had been, it's easily been six, maybe seven years since I've seen any of it. So 
that's sort of my relationship with it. Like you, it was not something I saw too heavily within syndication for the reasons you mentioned of uh, Gardner's uh, contract disputes with Universal. Um, and plus just it looking to me very much like a dad show. Um, <laughs> it has such dad show energy. Absolutely. <laughs> right. And I, that is not an incorrect impression of the show, especially considering its creators uh, were um, Roy Huggins and Stephen J. Cannell, uh, both of whom are responsible for any number of other very dad-esque shows, including like The A-Team and Beretta and a couple of other um like big programs um the fugitive right um mm-hmm. but also canal like co-created like silk stockings and 21 jump street and the commish so produced by like really big folks even though i think huggins got pushed out after um halfway through like season 1 anyway um so that was sort of like i'm familiar enough with it and i know james gardner enough as an actor through maverick but also through like popping up on other shows and on tell on in movies to kind of be familiar with his whole james gardner deal um so going back and watching this again but also like doing much more of a smattering as opposed to watching each episode kind of back to back which is not something i really recommend is sitting down and just watching like three episodes of rockford um don't do that um (laughs) it is not the ideal way to consume this program it was not designed Um, with that viewing method uh you know in yeah, it was not designed with that, uh, right. and so therefore it does. It it really does not benefit it to watch it in that way. This is a show that has benefited to watch like an episode every day with your lunch. You yes, know? yeah, and I ended up watching like an episode with my breakfast, and then sometimes I'd watch an episode before bed. In to so I'd like do one at the beginning of the day and one at the end of the day, and that I found really ideal because I remember when I watched this way back. Um, when and I watched it on Netflix I'd sometimes do like three episodes in a row and that was I remember being very unimpressed by the show when I did that Mm -hmm. Um, pacing it out and spreading out the type of episodes I watched also made a big difference Um, so I ended up liking this a good bit Um, and I recall liking it a good bit even when I watched it back then but I think my experience watching it now and also being a little more selective in the episodes I watched um, made it also a degree of difference as well um, in terms of my enjoyment, but also my terms of being able to go, this is not an episode of Rockford Files. This is a different show that just (laughs) happens to have these characters in it. Um, Because while it is a detective show, Kate, you're absolutely correct. It is a detective show. It is one of the American detective shows. It is also a con show yeah. for long stretches for no discernible reason. However, their con episodes are very good, so I can't get too upset about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so how what episodes that you watched would you kind of because we did have like a fair bit of overlap between what we watched. Um should we just start with Tom Selleck? Or <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we should end with Tom Selleck. Um, okay, let's end with Tom Selleck because I think that's a good end point. <laughs> yeah, I will say uh, I was I was underwhelmed yes, by the. Yes, I saw your note about this. Yeah, yeah, and it's be and it's because I assumed it was better than it is, and it's not that it's bad. It's not a bad show. It's a perfectly entertaining show. It's 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 a lot of fun. I enjoyed to very much enjoyed the episodes that I watched. 
However, it's very disposable. It's very, uh, like, it's very repetitive. Very repetitive. And uh, if you have a thing around some of certain things that it does, it's not for you. So if 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 having watching people who are twenty years younger than James Garner throw themselves at him as uh, like yes this thirty year old is just can't can't keep her hands off of like or a twenty six year old can't keep her hands off of James Garner who's forty six yes he's forty six when the show started is I don't know if the character is supposed to be forty six because the actor who plays his dad is fifteen years older than him so like it's. There's some, if that's going to bother you, then mm, this might not be the show. But because it has such, it's such a well-known one for, I mean, maybe it's just like my bubble or whatever, but this was one of those ones that like, is just always super like fun and, you know, go-to kind of a thing. Like that, that atmosphere, that energy about it. Um, so I expected it to be better. Um, and then, like, I, I remember hearing some comparisons when Stumptown started and uh, granted, this is also yeah. just a product of the fact that it's a show made for us, for our generation, but sometimes it's a much better show <laughs> than The Rockford Files. Um, so it, it also is very much of its time with its pacing. It's very, it's like, like now we'll watch people driving for an extra 30 seconds longer than we need to because it's just people have a very different relationship with pacing in uh, episodic television now mm-hmm. than they did then. And that I don't hold, I mean, I'm not holding any of that against it. Uh, I just expected there to be more jokes and laughs and less stuff that feels very dated around um, some of the action and some of the other beats. Okay. Um, so, so I was, I was a little surprised at that. So I, I, I went in expecting to really like it because I, I have such a, I'm such a sucker for a PI show. Um, I enjoy catching up with older shows that I haven't seen. Um, I've always really enjoyed James Garner. He's so charismatic and fun. And I don't, I ended up just like liking it. Yeah. And seconding all of the caveats that you said, do not watch a bunch of them in a row. Do not street, like do not do like episode after episode after episode, unless it's like a two parter pick and choose. You'll, you'll have a much happier time watching it. I think Um, though, the the episodes that I particularly connected with, the, the the con episodes are just really fun because it's a better pairing for Garner, I think. Yes, that I do. I, I don't fully agree with that, but I do think that he's better as a conorist than he is as, as a down-on-his-luck P.I. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, that, so that's one of the things that it does well. It, like, they're constantly running into the mob. <laughs> like, the mafia is everywhere. Uh, and maybe it's, it's just 70. Again, there's an energy crisis of course they're everywhere <laughs> so like, I love how often they mention the energy crisis yeah we're topical <laughs> yeah well and, and I think also some of it is very much a response of the aspects of the show is very much a response to both Garner's star persona his yes. his previous show of Maverick which I have not seen but mm-hmm. apparently this is like the same thing it's just yes. set now and not set in the old West. but also Correct. other cop shows of the time because he is constantly being like, they're like, what are you, chicken? He's like, yeah, I don't want to get shot. Which is a complete different, you know, like, that's not Kojak. That's not these other, like, it's not Beretta. These other, like, PIs uh, of the time. This is a very different um, type of PI. And so without the context of that, 
it's just watching it. It's fun, but I, I can imagine how like if all the other cop shows on were very hard boiled, this would be a delightfully refreshing change of pace as well. So um, yeah, I think I, I think again, it's more on me than the show. I went into it with higher expectations that it didn't live up to, but I still very much enjoyed my time. And yes, it's a very catchy theme song. It's such a catchy theme song. Um, Mike Postman just can't do anything wrong. Um, so for me, I do agree that the Rockford and Gardner in particular is better in a con mode. Um, I think his Gardner's particular charisma plays better when he's running a con. Um, even if it's still Jim Rockford, it feels like a very different Jim Rockford. Um, that being said, I do think that his kind of almost perpetual hangdog, slightly rumpled appearance, like all his all his suits and everything or blazers and shirts all feel very off the rack, which mm-hmm. I really, really like. Um, but your point about this feels really distinct from like other machismo cop and PI things, I also feel like is very grounded in literary PI stuff, particularly like... Hammett and Chandler, whose PIs don't always actually want to engage in fisticuffs or gunplay because that's how you die. That's how you get shot. (laughs) That's how you get shot. And they very purposely try to avoid that. Like, um, Rockford has a gun, but he doesn't have a license for it, so he never uses it um or tries not to use it he tries not to get into fights because when he gets into fights he either finishes the fight or he gets his ass kicked (laughs) um which is also something i really like is that rockford routinely gets his ass kicked by anyone um and that plays into that kind of thing that i think gardner does really well which is finding the comedy in that but also like the Man, I'm just trying to make my $200 a day. Why are people being so mean to me all the time? Well, he's constantly trying to turn down cases and yes. like like and be like, I just don't think I mean, like I can keep looking into it, but I don't want to waste your money and I, you know, I, the cops couldn't find it, I probably not going to be able to find it. Like it's uh, again, like refreshing. It's just so it's such a different yeah. kind of vibe than you tend to get in like like veronica mars would never (laughs) exactly while still having the fact that all all cops are bastards sort of deal even like decker who is really beautifully played by joe santos who i think does a really fantastic job um but like all the cops in this show are terrible they hate rockford rockford hates them rockford hates the judicial system in general um, for obvious reasons, listeners, if you're unaware, um, Rockford went to prison for a number of years, wrongfully convicted, received a pardon, which he brings up every time people bring up his criminal record. Yeah, he was um, in jail for five he, years. Yeah, yeah, he was in jail for five years. And he's just like, I got a pardon. I was not paroled. I got a pardon, um, which helps to contextualize some of the other episodes that we watched. Um, like very specifically, one of the episodes I pegged to watch was a very special episode of the Rockford Files about the horribleness of grand juries, <laughs> which barely feels like an episode of Rockford and really feels like um, Connell or Higgin Connell going, I don't like grand juries. Guys, this is messed up. <laughs> these are messed up. I'm going to do an episode about these. And we're just, we're, who are we going to get to do the lawyer for this? Can we get Will, can we get Will Daniels back? All right. Yeah, no, we got William Daniels back to do this. Beanie! Great, we're set. 
Also, Feeney and uh, John Adams. <laughs> yeah. Um, we should also note that uh, Williams, um, uh, William Daniels does um, another episode where he plays a shady art dealer. Mm-hmm. He's very good in that episode as well. Yeah, I look for, um, I, I, I saw his picture. I was like, I'm going to have to watch that one. <laughs> it's, it's actually, it's very, very good. I think it's episode, I think it's season three, episode 12 on my list. Mm-hmm. Anyway, doesn't matter. Um, that it just very much feels like a, this is something that's annoying me. I'm going to write about it, but I have this, only this one show right now. So Rockford's going to be angry about grand juries, but we're going to really kind of heighten the drama, but also kind of be really honest with what grand juries can be based on my perception of them from the good wife. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, but you watched that episode as well. How did you feel about it? Yeah, it, it is a complete depart. I mean, like it breaks the world a bit. Like there's several of these episodes mm-hmm. like that that break the world where it's like, okay, but he's barely making ends meet now. If he's in jail for like this, like you can't think about it too much. Right. No, you cannot. Um, um, but the actual, you know, in a, I would point to also the, uh, I can't remember the name of the episode, but the one with the, uh, computer surveillance, right? Where it's, it's oddly, like, the Rockford Files, prescient about our modern world. But yes, <laughs> the, the one about how, like, there's a, there's a computer b- database being built in, you know, in this, in this suburb area, this undeveloped area, so that they can feed all of the information into a centralized network and create a database of like 20 million Americans or 200 million, something like that, um, that they can sell the information to several international agencies and at least one government. Um, like, and, and guys, it's creepy how much information th- there is, you know, about you on computers in 1974 or five, yeah. whichever year it is. And also how easy it is for somebody like Rockford to talk his way into it. Cause nobody knows what they think about computers. <laughs> like, like th- that was another one of their, it, that was a con episode. And it was also a very special episode about a topic that clearly was important to the producers. Um, but no, the, the grand jury episode is, you know, they, they end with a title card in both of those episodes. Mm-hmm. be like, guys, this is like, we didn't make this stuff up. This is, this can happen. This does happen. This is legal maybe do something about it. <laughs> um, though I, th- I think, you know, having that, like you said, a blend of different types of, t- of Rockford Files episodes in your viewing is a really good way to, to, to see the variety the show can offer. And to, if you're like getting, feeling like you're in a rut, checking out some of these episodes, seek out an episode like that one. Um, and, and it really allows them to stretch different muscles and flex different muscles. And it's, I mean, also, like you said, Daniels is just fantastic. as just a real bastard. He's so good. Um, there's a lot of really fun performances in thankless roles. Um, yes. Or in not all that interesting roles. And it's just delightful to watch. That's one that we I mean, point to Hector Elizondo as Falcone, who's also having so much fun in such a silly role, but like oh, just, just his just physicality. All the scenery as <laughs> the the thing that Rockford is does not want to be and is like you said, poking fun at almost. But just clearly having the time of his life. Yeah. So no, I, I really like those very special episodes that I saw that I that I watched and yeah, there I, I would have liked more 
I would have liked more. I would have liked any attempt at gender parity. Uh, I would have oh, liked, yeah. I would have liked like one female PI who they run across every now and again, which doesn't happen. I like that the show does respect its uh, the female characters that we that are recurring. Um, mm-hmm. are treated, Jeff is great. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're they're treated pretty well, but there's just a casual uh, sexism of that's very much of the time mm-hmm. that is really. Uh, it's a, it's a big turnoff. And they're like, yeah, listen, yeah. hon, let me explain computers to you. Uh, or, you know, whatever the topic of the week is. That gets very, very old. Um, the the hypnotist who is like, oh. stop staring at my chest. Like, well, you're wearing a very low-cut shirt and then dangling a pendant directly in front of it. So the camera, so that the camera can ogle your breasts. And then you're saying, stop looking at my breasts. Like, Come on, show. Come on. <laughs> One or the other. Not both. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so like, there's, you know, for me, the, I'm sure at the time, very entertaining and compelling action scenes. I know that Garner kind of, like, destroyed parts of his body filming some yes. of his own stunts. Um, yes, he did. But they can be a little repetitive. So, s- switching it up with... Um, action versus con versus very special episode versus basically hangout comedy with the yes. recurring cast of characters is a good way to to like get a, a sampler of the different styles of the show and have a lot of fun with it. Um, unless there's anything else that you wanted to make sure we hit on, got it. Let's close the Selic. Yeah, I do want to mention shout out um, uh, Stuart uh, Margolin who plays Angel. Oh yeah. Um, I love Margolin in general. I think he's one of the unsung, underappreciated um, character actors from this period. Um, he won two Emmys for Rockford. Oh, nice. Um, and I really love Angel. Angel is one of Jim's um, former con friends from prison. Um, Angel is just very untrustworthy. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Always lying. Um, but Margolin plays him with such delight and such... Um, obvious shiftiness but also the whole deal of rockford keeps turning back to this guy who's almost constantly betraying him mm-hmm. um well and but also can he can also pull up a list of times that rockford also yeah, left him, him in a lurch and he's yeah. like well that one doesn't count because it like it's delightful yeah so i do want to shout out Morgolan, who i think is really really good in this um and we should mention rocky Rocky, too, who's played by uh, Noah Berry uh, Jr., is really good, even if I do feel like Rocky just never has, like, enough to do. But mm-hmm. every time they ask um, Beery to do something, he nails it. Um, I really like, particularly of the episodes I watched, we watched um, Sleight of Hand, um, which is season one, episode 16, which Noel Murray over at the AV Club had a, like, very special episode column about it, um, which is, I think, a very, very good, like, base level Rockford type of episode in terms of this is what the PI version of the show is when it's really good. Um, but um, he's really good in that when he's, like, trying to walk, walk walk rockford through all this stuff um but he's also just really funny in lots of points um like his whole thing with the um with the falcone stuff freeze turkey (laughs) um it's really great and we didn't really watch many i didn't there are rocky centric episodes that we did not watch um so there's a couple there's one where he like 
I want to say that he gets a deed to like a bunch of oil land and then shock the mafia comes after him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because like you said, Kate, the mafia is everywhere. Um, but Rocky is really great. And I really like Beery as well. Um, but yeah, let's talk about Lance White. Um, and the, even though he's in two episodes, he's just in two episodes of the entire run of 120 something episodes. I feel like Tom Selleck just looms large <laughs> in my brain when I think about the Rockford Fires files because of how beautifully performed and beautifully written Lance White is. So why don't, for listeners who don't know, why don't you tell us a little bit about Lance White? Lance White <laughs> is a PI. Um, and I think the second episode for me is quite, like, I think the character is okay in the first episode, but just like, Chef's kiss. Yes. Chef's kiss in the second. Just perfect. Because he's a PI who he looks like Tom Selleck. <laughs> uh, he looks like 1976 Tom Selleck, about, about, or whatever year it is, about to start, but not quite yet started Magnum PI. Um, and uh, is just like, he, he just, as every, like, everything goes right for him. He does all the things you shouldn't do. Um, and it's just very, very confident. He's just like this epitome of the confident, attractive, cishet white man who, like, well, of course you just do this because uh, this is usually the time about around about the time where like you get a hunch and uh, and a clue presents itself. And, and Rockford's like, that's not that's not how detectiveing works. Like, like you can't just wait for a clue to appear and then immediately, of course. A clue appears. And so it goes, well, you know, that actually does remind me, now that you mention it, this bit of information. And it's hilarious because Selick plays it so straight. Mm-hmm. Um, and because, like, it never gets old. Because he's only in two episodes. It never gets old to watch Garner go like, son of a bitch. How? How is this? How does everything keep breaking exactly right for you? There's also a sense that, like, in a very uh, gander kind of way from DuckTales, like, everything breaks just right. For, for for Lance and every and like so he never gets splashed on by the car, but whoever he's next to, <laughs> through no fault of his own, you know, with Lance not having done anything that you could attribute malice to, or like he's like he's irritatingly good and mm-hmm. thoughtful and and you know forthright and all of these things and a stand up guy and so you can't hate him, which makes it even worse. Um, yes. It's delightful. And it's it's just very fun, especially in that second episode. Yes. The second episode, which um, is season six, episode seven. Um, so towards the end of the show's run, it's just ridiculously good. Um, mm-hmm. We should note that that episode also features uh, James Whitmore Jr., who plays Fred Beamer, who recurs in like another two episodes. And uh, James Whitmore Jr. is both a really solid actor but is also a, um, I believe, also like a really hardworking like TV director still to this day. Um, yeah, no, he's directed like tons of stuff um, across, including like a number of really great episodes of um, whatchamacallit, uh, The Good Wife. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, no, Lance is just the best. Um, <laughs> on top of everything else that you just mentioned, he also routinely brags about his accomplishments while downplaying them, which is like the one character flaw that no one seems bothered by. Yeah. (laughs) Because he's just like, oh yeah, no, I have like two PhDs. I just worked really hard, went to night school, took a couple of classes, and now I have one. And it's just like, 
What do you do? What do you do with your spare time? I, I, yeah. I fish. I, I fish. Sometimes I go. Oh, to a game. okay. That's great. Well, yeah, it helps. Yeah, it helps clear the mind, right? Yeah, it's just like, <laughs> and even the cops like him, and cops notoriously don't like PIs in mm-hmm. PI shows. Like that's the whole deal. But cops love Lance White, <laughs> which is how you know he's just the absolute worst. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but no, like you said, Selleck just plays all of this so, so straight. And Gardner's sense of comedic timing, which is very good, kicks into overdrive when he has Selleck just doing all of this without fail. Um, so you get just all these exasperated reaction shots from Gardner, um, who's just hates this man's guts for both the fact that he's significantly more successful than he is, but also because he should reasonably be dead, Yeah, Lance White, and is somehow not dead. <laughs> it's just like, if I did a third of what you were doing, a quarter of what you were doing, I would be dead. Because yeah. that's how physics and logic and like <laughs> science works. And yet somehow... We're going to drive over there and your stupid compartment's going to smash my knees again because it's going to fall down at the wrong time, but not when we need a gun from the, you know. Yeah, it's just, it, it's it's really fun. And again, if they went to that well too often or didn't nail the tone just right, it would be insufferable. But they really do capture it. So it, it's very effective. Yeah. So it's really funny. And like, I had watched the first of the Lance White episodes way back when, which is why I didn't watch it this time around. But I hadn't watched the second one. The second one's so much, so, so funny. Yeah, Down to I'm the- glad you watched it because I wouldn't have sought it out if you yeah. hadn't seen it. And then I was like, well, I should watch that one too, since I got a little time. And, and uh, then that way we can talk about, you know, the act, yeah. having seen the same one. And it's like, I liked the first one, but the second one is so much better. So thank you for putting it on the list. I've never voted for myself. Oh, well, Lance, that makes me feel really bad because I voted for my son. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, then I guess I, I shouldn't have sent that letter around telling everybody else to vote for you. <laughs> Which leads me to like the last point that I do want to mention. Of Even though Rockford seems perpetually broke, he also has these massive corporate accounts yeah. <laughs> that seem to keep him afloat for the most part. Down to also this thing of the paperwork being the thing he's actually really good at Mm -hmm. that we never get to actually see, which is another really good joke. I think um, in that episode that is filled with a number of very, very good jokes um, aside from the don't, don't stare at my breasts. Okay. Mm -hmm. But also the cameras right there. I don't have a choice show. Yeah. (laughs) I guess I could turn my head away. Um, The, the last thing I wanted to mention is the, tape message tape recording oh right the, the answering machine yeah because every episode i mean you know as is a product of its time um every episode begins with like this week on and like little clips of what's going to come and if you are at all an experienced tv watcher you can piece together the entire episode from these little brief flashes so uh i recommend skipping ahead until you see the tape recorder which is then where what every episode starts with, which with a unique uh, voice recording on the answering machine, only a few of which have anything to do with anything in any of the episodes. I think it's like one or two of them ha- across the entire 120 something episodes have anything to do with the actual episode. I think it's like one or two. And they're yeah. all delightful and they all give you such a good sense of the character and the sensibility of the show. Um yeah, it's like, so we're going to, this is just your call to, to let you know that, you know, we're going to cut off your power in two minutes. 
thank you for being a customer of blah, blah, blah. Or like, you know, come to, we wanted to tell you about the, remind you about the retirement party for Lieutenant blah, 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 blah. And uh, bring five bucks. <laughs> we, we need money for cake or whatever it is. Like, like there's, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, it's very much, this is the show. So mm-hmm. it's a, it's a charming thing. And the fact that they, took the time to record how 130 or however many it is different like things just to have with different actors. Right. That's because that's money, right. You have to pay somebody for that. You know, they don't always, if they could just have it be Rocky every time and then that would uh, save on their costs, but instead they did this other thing. Right. Cause it's just a different type of filmmaking. You wouldn't do that now. Um, No, but I mean, there's a number of things in this show that you wouldn't do now down to just the sheer amount of location shooting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But yeah, no, it's, it's a fun show. I, I, I feel bad that I went into it with too many expectations, Uh, but I did end up pretty charmed by it. And I will be seeking out the Rita Moreno episodes because there are three of them and I've seen none of them. There's three of them. I thought there was only one of them. And I know I watched one of them like years ago, um, which is why I didn't watch it this time around, but there's three of them. Well, I'm going to just get back to those then. Uh, well, that will wrap up our conversation about the Rockford Files. Let us know if you have thoughts about this show, if you caught it in syndication or uh, in reruns, I should say, or on streaming and Netflix or currently Peacock. Um, but if you show notes here at the end of the episode, you can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can email us at televerse at gmail.com. You can find our M4A chaptered feed and our MP3 unchaptered feed up in Apple Podcasts and we're also over on Stitcher. We'd appreciate ratings and reviews either place. And of course, uh, my Drag Race reviews go up, uh, or really they're more recaps, but there's some review in there, uh, over at the AV Club. Um, and you can find both of us on Twitter. I am at the Televerse, and Noel, you are? At Noel RK. Thank you so much for a great week, Kate. Thanks, Noel. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. <laughs>